Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by this message from the Kalamazoo, Michigan campus. For more info on the church, visit newdaycommunity.org. And particularly I felt led that this series was not going to uh, address the issue of, of giving, of donating, of, of tithing. Uh, we've done a series on that uh, a year or two ago. And you can actually pull it up on the website and listen to it. It was a great series, by the way. Uh, it was on gratitude, but it was really, really all about giving. Uh, I don't talk about money very often. I don't like talking about money. Um, it's just, uh, it's something I just don't care. Uh, actually, I don't care about money too much. Uh, it's probably why I don't have much. <laughs> but uh, we feel it's, it's definitely an important issue, and we want to take some time to, to, to address some of the topics uh, today, talking about wealth and godliness. And so there's some interesting facts that I came across. Martin Luther, how many know who Martin Luther is? All right, not Martin Luther King. Bring that right up, Cyrus. Uh, but Martin Luther, who lived in the 1500s the, the, um, and was one of the leaders of the uh, thanks <clears throat> Reformation, uh, which started the real, whole Protestant church, and uh, so much of what we call church today was shaped by Martin Luther and other uh, leaders of the Reformation. But he wrote this. He said, there are three conversions a person needs to experience. The conversion of the head, so when we start thinking, when we understand the truths of God. The conversion of the heart, when we really embrace it in a heart level. And then the conversion of the pocketbook. And I thought, wow, that long ago, same priorities, you know, uh, the head, the heart, and the pocketbook, because uh, it is a significant part of the conversion experience. Uh, more contemporary speaker, Greg Laurie. How many know who Greg Laurie is? I'm just curious. A few of you. So he's a real popular radio uh, preacher, uh, media. I don't know if he's on TV. I think he is. But he has a huge church in California. He's one of the better radio preachers, I think. And uh, he, he, I came across these uh, facts that he wrote concerning money. Money is the main subject of nearly half of the parables Jesus told. So I don't like teaching about money, but Jesus didn't have a problem teaching about money. Um, one in every seven verses in the New Testament deals with this topic. Wow! That's a significant portion. Uh, the Bible has uh, 500 verses on the, uh, on the topic of prayer. Fewer than 500 verses refer specifically to the topic of faith, but more than 2,000 verses deal with the issue of money. So we see that uh, it's, it's throughout Scripture, uh, wealth and money is, is, is focused on a lot. 15% of everything Jesus ever taught was on the topic of money and possessions. So I have to think about that. That would mean like I'd have to preach on money how often, how many times a year. What's 15%? About every six or seven weeks. Uh, every six weeks if I did a, a, a message on, on, on money just to match Jesus. <clears throat> Why such an emphasis on money and possessions? And I like this as Greg Laurie's point. He says there's a fundamental connection between our spiritual lives and how we think about and handle money. It's directly connected. All right? And I think the connection works both ways. In other words, our spiritual state affects how we think about money and how we handle money, but also how we deal with our money, 
affects our spiritual state. There's a, there's a direct link between the two. <clears throat> and sometimes we forget that. We, uh, I think in the contemporary church, I think in every, every, I think just humanity, we try to separate our spirituality from our actual day-to-day life. <laughs> and uh, um, and there's, there's nothing more practical in day-to-day than, than, you know, paying the bills and making the money. And so it, it, it distills it. And so that's why there's such a direct connection. That's why the Bible teaches about it so much. So we're going to look at a number of uh, issues concerning finances. But in order to get a, a good picture of wealth, and what we're talking about, I wanted us to look at, at what the world looks like <clears throat> in our day. Okay? And brace yourself, because this is kind of hard to take news. I don't know if any, how many of you are familiar with this, but if you're not, you should study this, because this is really important. Um, uh, <laughs> okay, so this triangle represent, represents all the people on planet Earth, over six billion people. Six billion people, all right? Six, between six and seven billion people live alive today. And this is, they're broken up into how much uh, they earn. So that little teeny red triangle there, out of all the six billion people, 300 million, so a thir- uh, less than a third of a billion, right, make over 20,000 a year. So if you make over 20000 a year, you are on the very, 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 very top of the top of the top. You are part of the wealthiest people on planet Earth. And I would expand that, and the truth is, you are part of the wealthiest people that have ever lived on the Earth. Ever. All right? And it's kind of shocking to realize that most of us fit into that little teeny triangle. And the reason I, I like to emphasize this is because one day, and I believe this, my whole life is based on this, I will stand before Jesus to give account for what I did in this life. And part of that is going to be giving account for being one of the wealthiest people that have ever lived during my lifetime and during the history of mankind. And I have to answer for that. If, if I complain about it, if I complain about being poor when I'm really one of the wealthiest, I think Jesus has got an issue with that. All right? Because <laughs> he, he wants me to have a different viewpoint of wealth. All right. So let's go through the rest of this. <clears throat> uh, the 1.7, about 2 billion people live on less than 20,000, between 1,500 and 20,000 a year. And then there's a billion people, a billion people that live on between $730 and $1,500 a year. Two billion people, less than that. This is considered the very poor. $360 to $730 a year. And there's actually a billion people that live on less than a dollar a day. A billion people that uh, scrape by with what uh, is virtually nothing. Now, when we look at this, and, and this is why I actually encourage people to go on mission trips to third world countries where you can actually see, you cannot, you know, even seeing videos or news reports, you can't experience what it's like to see someone dying of starvation on the street unless you're there, unless you can smell it, unless you, unless you can feel the powerlessness 
that you're powerless. Like I remember when I was in Morocco, there was a woman, she had two kids hanging on her and she was, you know, there's no hope. And like I'm walking by and there's like nothing I can do. I mean, literally, there was nothing I could do. Uh, I was only there for 10 days. And I was only in that city for a day. Uh, and I just thought, it's changed my life. So you need to experience that. <clears throat> So, uh, so this is a reality, and we need to find ways to make a difference, and, and there are many ways that we can do that. But we don't really experience this on a day-to-day uh, 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 life, so it's hard to grasp this because this is what we actually see. This is another chart that kind of that, that describes life in America. This chart's a little harder to read, but um, this is the median income uh, household income in Kalamazoo County is approximately $44,000. I mean, there's just as many people that make more than that as make less than that. So it's kind of like the normal. Uh, if you're making about $44,000, you're just kind of like right in the middle. Um, <clears throat> but on the chart of, of how much people make in the United States, this actually puts you in the bottom 43%. So you're you're below even middle. Does that make sense? So that's the medium income. That's what uh, that's normal income in, in our county is 44000 But compared to everybody that lives in the U.S., uh, we're down near the bottom. And of course, this is just how we live. If you're, if you're living there, you're looking at all those other people, right? They have bigger houses, better cars, you know, going out to eat all the time, dressing nicer clothes, all the stuff. It's like, gosh, they don't have to struggle with bills. They don't have to have the pain. You know, they don't have to worry about it because we're, we're standing here looking at all that. What, and we forget that we're actually at the top of the... And everybody else, they, they're not struggling with how to pay the water bill. They need to find water. Okay. <laughs> There's a big difference there. All right. Um, but this is how we live our life. And, and so wealth is, is, is really one of those issues that it kind of all depends on your perspective, where you're coming from. How you think of wealth is, is, differs significantly based on where you live and, 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 and uh, the context that you're living in. And so in, with that, kind of information popped into your brain and wherever you are, maybe you make half of that, 20,000. Well, that's still up in the top 300 million, uh, <laughs> you know. Uh, and uh, maybe you make twice as much of that and you go, well, it seems like I can hardly pay my bills as is. It's, it's, it's all kind of relative. God wants to speak into that, all right. And so the truths that I want to share today uh, really doesn't matter if you're living in Uganda and you're making a dollar a day or if you're living in uh, Kalamazoo and you're making forty or fifty or seventy thousand dollars they're just principles um, uh, in God's word about wealth <clears throat> and um, so we, Martin Luther had a quote Greg Laurie had a quote let's quote from Moses <coughs> Moses lived a little uh, earlier 1300 BC and this is a statement that he made to the Israelites, the people of God, right before they went into the promised land. And this is the main verse that I'm really talking about this whole morning. And we're going to read it, and then we're going to revisit it a little bit later. We're going to read it through the first time. Um, it says, Beware, lest you say in your heart, My power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, 
that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. So there's a tremendous promise here that it's God who gives us the power to get wealth. And believe it or not, I am actually a prosperity preacher <laughs> in disguise. All right? <laughs> but a prosperity preacher in, in a way unlike you know, your typical prosperity preachers uh, that you may see on TV. I actually believe this. That I believe that God's intention is to give every person the power to get wealth. But I believe that in the context of the promise, uh, in the context that the promise is made. All right? And so we need, in other words, in order, in order to understand what is meant by what God's saying here through his prophet Moses, we need to understand, well, who was he talking to and, and what did he really say? What, is, what, what does this mean? And so what I'm going to do is, what, I don't do this too often, I'm going to actually read a whole chapter of the Old Testament <laughs> in church. Okay? And so we're, uh, this is from Deuteronomy. And a little tidbit of uh, Bible knowledge, a very important tidbit though, is Deuteronomy is, is the second telling of the law. And it is a, it is a compilation of... Uh, teachings by Moses to the people of Israel right before they go into the promised land. So the, uh, in Exodus we find the law given, the Ten Commandments, and then in Leviticus we find all of the, uh, 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 the, the Levitical laws given and so all of that. But in Deuteronomy it's like the whole, he kind of sums up what's happened and it is, it's a compilation of this is the law and you have to understand it was actually Moses talking to the Israelites right before they go into the promised land. Alright? So the Exodus and Leviticus it happened early on and throughout but this is, okay, you guys are ready to go in. I want to clearly communicate what just happened and what's about to happen. And so, beginning of chapter 8, uh, he talked through what the law was. He says the whole commandment, which he'd been talking about, which is all the laws of, uh, that were given, in, 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 uh, the Ten Commandments including all of the other laws, that I command you today, you shall be careful to do, this is Moses speaking, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give your fathers. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger <laughs> and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Now, one thing, just to interject, I'm, I'm going to really hold back. I'm not interjecting. I've already not said about six things I wanted to. <laughs> but so many of the things that Jesus said, like man shall not live by bread alone, he's quoting Moses. All right, there are quotes from the Old Testament. Well, yeah, it's in the, it's in the uh, Sermon on the Mount, but he's quoting. So here it is. Um, your clothing did not wear out on you, and your foot did not swell these 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord God disciplines you. So you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and by fearing him. For the Lord God... 
For the Lord, your God, is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs. I just said they've been wandering for 40 years in the wilderness without water. And so this, this has a lot of meaning to them. And there's going to be just like streams and fountains flowing in the valley, out of the valleys and the hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees, pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey, a land in which you will eat bread full of gluten, <laughs> non-GMO, without scarcity, <laughs> All right. in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper. And you shall eat and be full, and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land that he has given you. Take care, lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your heart uh, herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, and led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and the thirsty ground where there was no water, who brought you out of... Uh, who brought you water out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and test you to do you good in the end. So all those things, hard things, really hard things, okay? Horrible things for years happened to the purpose that God's intention was to do them good. And Moses is reminding, so the context of the prosperity message is, in, is this, that it's, it's after years of all this other stuff. And it's an expression of God's intention to do good in the end. And then he goes, so beware, at least you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hands have gotten me all this wealth. I'm so good, I've, I've obtained this. You shall instead remember the Lord your God, for it's he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. So I believe this completely. I believe that it's God's intention. It's God who gives us the power to get wealth, and he wants that for each and every one of us. But I believe also that we need to understand this promise and this truth in the context of the whole story, that it's the fulfillment of promises made many, 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 many centuries earlier. All right? So it was a promise to those people that heard those words, but even that promise was, hey, this is a promise made to your fathers. And so, <clears throat> and it came after they had endured 400 years of slavery. So everybody that heard this, the only lifestyle that they knew and that their parents knew and their great grandparents and great-great-grandparents all the way back for 400 years was the identity of slavery. All right? And then this, the most recent context, historical context, was for the last 40 years they'd been literally wandering through the desert. Homeless, as it were. All right? 
You know, trying to defend themselves, trying to find water and, and living on manna and getting sick and tired of eating manna. <laughs> right? <clears throat> so God thinks generationally. But we think instantaneously. So when we hear that promise, we think it's now. But we have to understand that promise has a, a, a bigger time frame and a bigger context. Does that make sense? All right. The promise is true. It's a bigger promise. It's a bigger promise. And the question is, where are you at in the story? Because I believe that promise is made to each and every one of us. But we're in different... But in, and the whole story, not only does that verse apply to each and every one of us, but the whole story applies to each and every one of us. Because the story is about how God interacts with people. It's, it's a story, it's a true story, but it's, it's meant to communicate, this is what it means to be in relationship with God. It means that there may be centuries, there may be really long times where you're in slavery. But God's able to deliver you out of that slavery. And there can be signs and wonders that are amazing. And so you might be at that point in the story where you're seeing God come through in powerful ways. You might be, <clears throat> you might be at the, the point in the story where we're at the Mount Sinai and you see God show up in the Ten Commandments and it's an incredible experience. Or you might be, you know, a few years later when you're in the middle of the wilderness and you're going, I think this was a bad idea, Moses. <laughs> Let's go back to Egypt. They kept saying that, you know. This is a bad idea. Let's go back. Because <laughs> they were tired. They literally got tired of manna. Can we just have some meat? <laughs> All right. So where are you in the story? You sick and tired of the meager provision, even though it may be supernatural, because you're looking at the people that are higher on that chart, and you're forgetting that you're on the top of the chart too. Are you hearing me? Okay. The main point of the story is that it's God's intent, His character. What's His character? His character is the same. Is to bring everyone. To the place, wherever they're at in that story, his heart is to bring them to the place where they can prosper and, and empower them to do so. <clears throat> um, for it is he, and we're going to zoom in on this verse, because this is what I want you to remember. In fact, let's read this aloud together. Ready? One, two, three. For it is he who gives you power to get wealth that he may confirm his covenant. Okay? So we can pray that God gives me power to get wealth. And the word power means strength, uh, uh, might, vigor. Uh, literally can mean force. It's a, the, really the, the big idea. It's, it's like this, a force. Uh, figuratively means the capacity. Right? God gives me the capacity and the means. Uh, it's, it's his intention. And, and, and this is the, the verse is a direct contrast of the verse previous where it says, you know, you think that it's your own power and your own might that has gotten uh, you all that you have. No, it's God who gives that power. But it's true that God, it is God's character to give um, the capacity and the means to get wealth. And uh, the issue is that we don't want pride to get in the place. And it was a warning against pride as opposed to living in the place of humility and gratitude. Uh, and, and if we have that attitude concerning wealth, that, wow, I, I'm, I'm humbled that God has given me so much, then that positions us to actually receive more. Because God wants you to have more. <clears throat> uh, that's where I'm a prosperity. Yeah, I believe God wants everybody to have more. But more important than that is the attitude and having gratitude and humility. 
And, and there's a big difference between giving wealth and giving the power to get wealth. Yeah, <laughs> Think about that for a minute. So if you're praying, God, give me a new car, give me a new car, give me a new car. It's not praying according to God's word. God, give me the ability to earn the money to pay for a new car. That's according to God's word. That's according to the pro- promise. Does that make a difference? God, I, I want, you know, I want enough money to pay off all my debt. I do want all I want to pay off all my debt, God, please. But God, give me the means and the capacity to earn enough money to pay off all that debt. You know? Because in that process, it helps me walk through the story. Helps me turn a few pages in the story. Right? Now, it's great when you get a gift. That's fine. <laughs> get wealth. So he gives you power, capacity means, to get wealth. What is that? To do, to make, to produce. And I think that's the biggest word. I think it's the best word uh, in our uh, context to understand the original intention is this idea of producing as well as acquire, but produce or accomplish, along with the idea of strength, to accomplish strength, produce strength, uh, produce ability, produce efficiency, produce wealth or force. It literally can be translated to, like, raise up an army, okay? Um, but it also can be applied to things like virtue and value, uh, valor, right? And so those are non-materialistic uh, um, things of value or wealth. So God gives us the um, capacity and the means to get, to make, to produce all of this stuff like strength and efficiency and force and virtue and wealth and valor. Um, Some of the best ways to understand original Hebrew or Greek words is to look how uh, different translations uh, uh, translate it because those translations are done by teams of experts in those languages. And so they actually know what they're doing. <laughs> Probably better than me, who I'm not an expert. <clears throat> but I can read what they write. And the Good News Bible translates it this way. He gives us power to become rich. <laughs> okay, I can, I can understand that. To produce wealth. I like that one because I think it the idea of producing wealth. To make wealthy, or the New Living Translation, I like even better, because it's kind of like a general, a little more general uh, application. To be successful. And, and what that means is going to be different for each person. Right? For you to be successful, for me to be successful, or even to be wealthy, is going to be defined completely different if you're living in Kalamazoo County versus if you're living in, you know, Marrakesh, uh, Morocco or uh, Uganda or uh, Somalia, right? Uh, and so our definition of wealth is very subjective. The tr- truth of God's character is objective. Okay? And so we take the object of truth and we learn how to apply it subjectively that God wants me to be able to produce strength, efficiency, ability, wealth. Uh, it depends on where we are in the story. So if you're still a slave in bondage, uh, wealth and what you want is freedom. That's, there's nothing more than you want than freedom if you're in slavery. But if maybe you've got the freedom, but you're still in the, in the wilderness, 
So now you don't want just freedom. Now you want, okay, we need a safe place to live, please, and maybe reliable water. But we have that here, right? So maybe you're on the border of the promised land looking in. Maybe you're just about in place in your career where you're going to, to actually start making real income. You're going to be able to get ahead, you know, and you're looking and you're about to, or maybe you're already there and maybe you're making well above that 40000 Uh-huh. Where are you at the story defines wealth for you. <clears throat> and there's a big difference between um, the way the, that God, and I think the scripture defines wealth as the power to produce, and the way our generation, and I think humanity, it's, because it's not just our generation, it's throughout all of history, it doesn't matter what culture or what time uh, defines wealth, is generally the humanistic way is the capacity to consume. Right? But God's talking about, I want to give you the power to produce, to create, to, to enlarge. All right? And so it's not about how many, uh, you know, what kind of car you have. Because I don't care what kind of car you have. That car is just going to consume. I actually own four cars. Very grateful. They're all paid off. One was given to me, which was really, really cool. <laughs> but you know what? Um, they're all old. <laughs> and they all consume. They consume a lot of gas. And the only thing they produce is deadly, poisonous gas. Right? <laughs> and broken parts. So, that, the car you drive is not wealth. Right? I don't care what kind of house you live in. Nice house, basic house. That house is not wealth. Because houses consume. Right? Every time you pay that power bill... It's consuming, right? It's consuming. The only thing a house produces is trash. Okay, have you ever noticed? Every week, you got to take out that Herbie Gerby. <laughs> I'm like, how do we produce so much junk? <laughs> you know, we have so much. And so even houses, really. And so the idea of, of wealth, oh my goodness, <clears throat> is... Uh, the power to produce rather than the capacity cons to consume. And I would ask you, are, what are you producing? What are you multiplying? What are you increasing? Because that's what we need to understand what wealth is. That's when God talks about, you know, prosperity and bringing into a place where you can really multiply. What are we multiplying? Or are we just seeing it through the, the lens of how can I consume more? All right? And, and that's not really wealth. And it's all built on God's promise. The purpose uh, intent beneath this all is to confirm his covenant. So power to get wealth, to confirm his covenant. Which means um, to abide or to make good. I like that translation. To make good on God's promise. In other words, the reason God's doing it is to make good on his promise. The message says to confirm the covenant that he promised. To, to still be faithful today to the covenant. And, and that means, okay, so, so it, it applied when Moses says it to the Israelites, today meant the, that day. But when we read it now, it applies today. Okay? Same God, same character, same position we're followers. Okay? That he stands by the terms of his covenant that he promised. So God is fulfilling his promise. And it's a promise not just to us. But it's a promise to our forefathers. And you know what? That's true. Because God thinks generationally. Even if your forefathers were not believers in covenant relationship with God, 
as Christians, once you're in the kingdom of God, it's the promises made to the previous generations. It's answering their prayers. Does that make sense? Okay? But it's really going back all the way to Abraham. And Paul tells us and, and ties this in in a beautiful verse in Galatians. He says, and this is, this is how we're going to catch this up so that it applies to every New Testament believer. He says, if you are Christ's, in other words, if you've come to a relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. So the Bible says that when we come into, into Christ, we actually grab hold of all those promises made to Abraham. All those promises that were being fulfilled to the people of Israel when they entered into the promised land. All of those promises that still apply to us today. But it goes on beyond that. It says also that we are his children. We are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. Because we're in Christ and not just in Abraham, we inherit actually more. Because we inherit not only the natural wealth promise, uh, the ability to produce wealth, but we inherit the glory. We inherit Christ's nature. That God's intention is to give us even more. Um, <clears throat> and so the response that uh, you know, we should look to do um, is to ask yourself, where are you in the story? You may be still in slavery. Maybe you're not in covenant relationship with God. Maybe you haven't come out of, you know, uh, figurative Egypt. Uh, maybe you're still stuck there. You need freedom. Or you may be in the wilderness. You may be just slugging it out, living on rice and beans, beans and rice, living on, want, wanting to complain, all right? You may be in the border of the promise. I don't know where you're at, but you need to know where you're at. Okay? You need to ask God. You need to figure that out. <clears throat> and most important, are you in covenant relationship? Because the promises to the Israelites didn't apply unless they were in that covenant relationship. And the same thing, the promises to Christ come when we are entered into a covenant relationship with God. And in that covenant relationship, we have access to all of the promises of God. And then if you're in that covenant relationship, are you keep, keeping your side of the covenant? Are you uh, abiding by the laws, as Moses would say? Or to better understand that, are you living according to God's character? Because that's what the law reveals, is the nature and character of God. Uh, are, are you keeping your side of the covenant? And, and then, <clears throat> you know, once you're in that covenant relationship, how do you define wealth? How are you defining wealth? How are you defining riches? And what power has God given you to produce? And are you using it faithfully? Alright? So Father, I just pray that you would open up our eyes and ears to, to know and to hear. Uh, <laughs> Father, that uh, wherever we are in the story, well, that you're there. You're right beside us. You're ahead of us, leading us to the better place. But your intentions are to bring us to good and not to evil. Father, I pray that uh, we would see this in terms not only for our own good, 
for the good of our household, for the good of the next generation, our children, our children's children, Father, and even those that we, we can't even imagine that our lives may influence. Father, I pray an impartation of the power that your will is to give us the power to produce wealth. Father, that you would accomplish that as a confirmation, as a fulfillment of your promise. It's not about us. It's about you. And we believe it and confess it to be true in Jesus' name. You know, if there's anybody that has a compelling debt or a burden, and even if it's not financial, if it's some other form of, of, of lack, just, just right now, just picture that in your mind and just, I'm going to pray for that. Father, that you would open up the windows of heaven. Lord, that you'd bring each of us into that promised land. Father, wherever we're at in the story, that we'd be able to get to the next chapter. Closer to the fulfillment of having all of our needs met, having sufficiency above and beyond so that we can be generous in every way, that we can be givers, Lord God, that we can be abundant givers and bless others in our lives as a representation of your character. So wherever there's lack in this place, in this body right now, I just pray that there'd be fulfillment in Jesus' name for your sake. Amen. Amen. And I haven't forgotten that we need to draw a card out of here. And Nancy wants to come up and draw the card. Okay, so you can't cheat. Okay, don't look. Close your eyes. Oh, not that one. No, another one. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> and who is the winner? Nikki. 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 Where's Nikki? Hey, there she is. Come on up. An almost crisp, clean, new $100 bill. Let me pray for you. All right. Let's pray for Nikki. Father, we just bless Nikki. We thank you. Lord, we bless her with this $100. Father, but we bless her far more. We pray that every need that she has, every financial need, emotional need, spiritual need, would be uh, just that you would provide abundantly above all that she thinks possible and expects, Father, that you are a God of abundance. Lord, we pray that for every person in here, that your abundance would be revealed in Jesus' name. Amen. All right.